have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd like for you to grab them very quickly and turn to Acts chapter 12, if you will. And I want to talk to you this morning uh, for another week about a, an aspect of prayer that we need to be familiar with. It's called fervent prayer. Now that word fervent means fiery, if you will, or passionate. In other words, I am giving some energy, some spiritual energy to be involved in prayer. It's not like a daily, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. If that's the way you pray, I would say thank you for that, but it's time for you to move up to another level and to find ways to impact the kingdom of God through your prayer life. So Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. It says, And about that time King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church, and he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews... He proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. And when Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night Peter, bound with two chains, sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke him up and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off of his wrist. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know that what the angel did was really happening. But he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and the second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and then suddenly the angel left him. So when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. And as soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. And he knocked at the door of the outer gate, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. You're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true, and they said, it's his angel. Peter, however, 
kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. And motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell these things to James and the brothers, he said, and he left and he went to another place. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea, and he stayed there. Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. And on an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembled people began to shout, It's the voice of a god and not of a man. And at once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. Yum, that's good to know. But the word of God flourished and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you'll help me to speak effectively today, to be pointed, to say what needs to be said in a manner that we can receive it and put it to use in our lives. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now in this passage of scripture, we see that the church is living in a time of chaos. Herod had come against them and he had planned an attack upon certain people within the body of Christ. He had already killed one named James, the brother of John, and because the people enjoyed that so much and liked it so much, he decided to take Peter captive, put him in the jail, and he was going to execute him as well so that he could gain the favor of his people. So there was a war that was being waged against the people of God and against the church. This war that was being waged was being fought on two, in two arenas. The first was spiritual. Let me say that there's a lot of warfare that's going on in the spirit realm even today. Against you, against me, against the church. There are things that we don't even know is taking place that is taking place in the spirit realm. The enemy of our soul, the, the devil, is the accuser of the brethren. And he is doing everything in his power in the spirit realm to bring us down one at a time and to destroy the church and its work in the earth. So the first level of war that takes place on a regular basis is in the heavenlies. It's spiritual by nature. But if we're not aware that that is going on, the enemy then has to find a way 
to transfer that war from an unseen realm into a seen realm. Because otherwise, we will never be afraid of what we don't know is going on. We will never be concerned about something that may be happening in the heavenlies that we're unaware of. So the devil knows that he has to somehow transfer what is going on in the heavenlies and bring it to earth in a way that manifests in our lives and will affect us negatively. So in this particular situation, he decided that he would use the political system against the church. Now let me just stop long enough to say to you that I planned these messages for January all the way back prior to Thanksgiving of last year. And so it's interesting to me how God lines all these things up. It was not purposeful, but it was waiting upon the voice of the Lord to hear what he wanted to say to us on this particular Sunday. I didn't slide it up. I didn't slide it back. I just said, God said, say this on this day. So here she comes, boys and girls. He used a political system, the devil did, in those days to manifest among the church in such a way that it would have a negative impact upon the people of God. See, he can use anything to come against us. He can use sickness. He can use finances. Give me a little more monitor, if you will, Bill. Don't let me go away today. He can use finances. He can use attitudes. He can use other people. He can use anything that he wants to use in order to come against us. And he can also use a fear of the government and a fear of politics. That's exactly what he did in this situation. And so what do we do in situations like this? How do we wage war back against the devil? Well, it reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, which says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition or the pulling down of strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every captive uh, thought, thought captive to obey Christ. So the war is won or lost right here. In our thoughts, we can either control them or we can let them get out of control and whichever choice we make will determine uh, what happens in our lives. So the question today we want to ask is this. What are we to do when godless people are in power? I'm not talking about uh, po politics all the time. Uh, today, I'm talking about people who have power in your lives. I'm talking about spouses. I'm talking about family members. I'm talking about... Uh, employers. I'm talking about people who have the ability to impact your life. In this case, it's political. But in other cases, it may be something else. So here's the answer. 
When there are people of power that are coming against us in any way, our response should be simply fervent prayer. I'm going to pray this thing through. I'm going to fast if I must. I'll pray. I will put in the time. I will put in the effort to pray and bring this stronghold down. So in our passage of Scripture today, I want to make three quick observations. Things that we need to understand about moments and seasons like this in our life. The first thing that I want you to notice is that the people of God were sure that their answer would come through prayer. That's the first thing we need to understand. Now the Scripture says that Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Now listen, there are times in our lives when the only option that we have is to pray. You know, it it shouldn't be something where it's kind of a last resort. In In fact, mature believers learn that prayer is not a last resort, but a first response. So when things begin to happen in our lives, mature believers don't say, well, I'll do this, and then I'll do that, and then I'll do this, and if all of that fails, then I'll pray. Mature believers, when they're faced with an attack of the enemy, they take a step forward and say, it's time to pray. It's time for me to roll my sleeves up and get busy and see if I can't access the promises of God on behalf of this situation. Prayer is the key. Prayer is the answer. Now I want you to notice that what they did not do in this situation. They did not attempt a coup. They did not attempt to overthrow the government. They did not protest with malcontents in the city square. They did not incite a riot. They did not burn houses down or break down doors. They did not write letters or post signs on the street post. They did not host a pity party or talk about how bad their circumstances were. They did not debate others about the wickedness of their government. We don't see any of that in this situation. So if they didn't do those things, what did they do? Well, it's easy to see. The first thing they did was gather with people of like faith. That's the reason I've been saying to you for weeks now, and other ministers have been saying the same thing. Listen, the church is essential. You cannot win this thing on your own. You cannot overcome as a solo believer. We need one another. We need to pray together. We need to believe together. We need to worship together. We need to get our kids in the house of God so that they can learn how to serve the Lord with gladness. We need the church We need to gather with people of like faith. Secondly, they prayed fervently. Again, they weren't praying little nighttime prayers. They were a hold, grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar of God, if you will, and they were praying vigorously. Let me 
just ask you, have you ever experienced that level of prayer in your life? I went to the prayer team and visited with them this morning and I said, I appreciate so much the ministry that you perform on behalf of this church. This prayer team comes every time, before we have a service, they're always back there an hour before. They come an hour before on Wednesday nights and they pray together. And many times they pray in the privacy of the room and many of you never even know it. But I want to tell you, you've experienced victories in your life because of these people who are committed to intercessory prayer. And I told him, I said, this week, I was pretty well ready to preach. I could have preached Thursday night. I had the fire in my bones, and I was ready to go. But I put a post on Facebook, and I asked the congregation to pray for me for one minute on Friday and one minute on Saturday. And for some of you, to pray for a minute is a piece of cake. <clears throat> but for others of you, to pray for a minute is like getting a beating out in the, out in the alley. I mean, you think, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can pray for 60 seconds or not. I don't know if I can pray for a minute or not. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't learn how to pray effectively and pray passionately, you're not going to win very many battles. And you don't need to be calling on other people to pray on your behalf. If anything, ask them to pray with you, but not in your stead. We've got to pray. You're going to hear a lot about it this year. We've, we will be ending tomorrow our first 21 days of prayer where we've been asking for the favor of God upon this earth. In just a few days, we're going to start 40 days of prayer, seeking God for the city. When we're complete with that, we're going to do 10 days of praise. Did you know that praise is a form of prayer? Did you know that our praise moves the heart of God? And as we move throughout this year, we're going to talk more and more about prayer. Because while I love this prayer team, they cannot carry the load alone. We've got to get in your spirit that as a child of God, you've got to learn how to pray and access heaven on your own behalf. Pray. They prayed fervently. And then they waited patiently on the Lord. They waited patiently. They didn't get impatient with God and say, we're going to take matters into our own hands. We're going to do what we thought we should have done in the first place. Here we go. Come on. Let's get everybody mad. Let's get everybody angry. Let's get everybody upset. And let's go and let's do this thing. Now, there are times that we need to just wait. There are times that we need to just be patient and let God do his thing. So they were sure that the answer to their problem would come through prayer. Secondly, I want you to notice that God responded suddenly. Now, if you'll look at this passage of Scripture, there are two suddenlies. I call them the bookends. There was a moment when God initiated his move into this situation. And when he did that, here's what happened. First of all, heavenly representation arrived on the scene in the form of an angel. 
Secondly, light appeared in the jail to provide clarity in the dark environment. Thirdly, Peter was awakened. Fourthly, his chains supernaturally fell off of their body. Next, he was instructed to ready himself for movement. The angel said, get dressed, put on your sandals and your coat, and come and follow me. I'm telling you what, God is getting ready to tell some of you to get ready for movement. He's tired of you staying in the same place where you've always been. He's tired of you being locked up and, and in bondage to the things that you've been dealing with, some of you, for years. God wants to set you free. He wants to get you ready for movement. He wants to get you ready to move from where you are to where he wants you to be. And then they walked by two sets of guards and sentries. And nobody even noticed that they went by. Then they got to the iron gate outside of the city and it opened by itself, supernaturally. It's like those doors at the grocery store. You just step on the pad and they open up and you can walk right in. That's the way that gate did. They said, man, here comes a representative of heaven. Here comes Peter. This is the moment I've been waiting for. I know that gates can't think, uh, but there must have been angels positioned there at that gate so that when the timing was right, that gate swung open all by itself. God was working in the suddenlies. And then finally, the scripture says that the angel left suddenly when Peter came to himself. You know what I believe today? I believe that we're getting ready to enter into a season of suddenlies. I believe that. I believe that for the church. I believe it for you. It can't happen for the church until it happens for you. But you've been praying and you've been seeking God and you've been fasting and you've been praying fervently and God has been listening. And God is getting ready to issue the command of suddenlies uh, that is going to begin to bring uh, freedom and liberty into your situation and into your life. It will be divine. It will be things that are miraculous in nature. Things that you could not do on your own. But God is going to say, my people have been praying. And I am going to initiate the power that I have over this situation. And bring it to pass in their lives. Now listen, the timing and the tempo of deliverance is always directed by God. God seldom does things in the timing that I wish that he would use. And God seldom ever brings about the answer in the tempo that I feel like would be appropriate for the time. Our singers sing beautifully every week. Can you imagine, though, if they all got up here and decided to sing a different song? If one of them was singing one song, another song singer was singing another song, and then, and then Andrew would be on the drums playing one speed and one tempo and one rhythm. And ben playing something different. Donna playing an entirely different song. I know that there are some old-time Pentecostals who believe that ought, that's the way it ought to be. So everybody just get up and create as much chaos as you possibly can. But you know that music 
always is better when it is blended together in rhythm and in tempo. And when you apply rhythm and tempo to music, man, it can bless your soul. And what I'm saying is, is that God works in a rhythm and in a tempo. And so in between these suddenlies, God started initiating his movement in the life of Peter, and it came with a rhythm and a tempo that would allow the miracle to be manifest. So we got to learn how to wait on God. We have to learn how to move in his tempo and in his rhythm. I remember years ago when we were pastoring in Chicago, I've told you this story, I'm not going to repeat all the details. I, I didn't even want to be there. God, God called, you know, got a hold of the overseer and he said, I want you to go do this. I didn't want to. Donna made me go. She didn't. She said, you know this is God. You're going to have to respond. And I did, and we did. And I mean, when I got there and saw all the different pieces to the puzzle that had to be brought together in my flesh, I thought, I don't see any possibility that this, this can happen. I don't see any way that it can bring glory to God. But then we started praying. You know, the first, one of the first things I did, I told the prayer team this, this morning, I, I stopped the prayer team. We had a prayer team just like we did here. All they knew how to do was get together and gossip and fight. That's all, that's all they knew how to do. I told them, I said, they were in agreement, but the things they were in agreement about were ungodly. I got called into the prayer room one day, and they were in agreement they were agreeing that I'm getting ready to come across this table and beat the fire out of you. I'm going to punch you right between the nose. That's the kind of prayers that were going on. Let me tell you something. God is not going to honor that kind of thing. And I just told them, by the virtue of my office as pastor, I said, you're done. No more meeting together until you can get saved. Well, they didn't like it. But sometimes you've got to do things that people don't like in order to align the purpose of the church with the purpose of God. <clears throat> and sometimes in your life, you've got to make decisions that will align your life with the purpose of God. Other people might not like it, but that's not what matters. What matters is, is that you get alignment with God and agreement with Him so that He can do what needs to be done. So the timing and the tempo... And I remember once we did that and we created the atmosphere that God could move in and begin to pray and begin to fast and begin to seek his face, God began to put all the pieces of the puzzle in place, one after another, after another, after another, after another. And when it was all said and done, it was miraculous in nature, but it, all, it also brought victory to the church and it brought glory to God. So we've got to operate in the timing and the tempo of God. And then thirdly this morning, the people were both surprised and satisfied by God's intervention. Has God ever surprised you? 
Has God ever done anything that you get totally unexpected? You'd been praying, you'd been seeking the Lord, but for some reason you just saw him doing something entirely different than what he did. Notice in verse 14, it says, She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing where? Outside the gate. What would cause her to do that? Pray, Lord God, deliver Peter. Bring him to a place of deliverance, and then God does it. And she's so shocked and surprised that when Peter shows up, she left him standing outside instead of inviting him in. She was shocked. She was amazed at what God had done. I'm telling you, I'm ready for a season where God can just shock us. Where God can once again say, I am able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think according to my power that resides within you. I want to be shocked by the power of God. I want to be amazed at his hand upon my life. I want to be amazed at what he does in our homes and in our families and in our church. They were shocked. But they were also satisfied. Now I want you to notice that when he came in, he told them all to be quiet. He said, let me tell you what God has done for me. And nobody said, well, he could have done that differently. He should have done that differently. I, I thought he'd do it this way, or I thought he did it that way. I thought he, no, no, they were all amazed that the plan of God had worked the way that it had. Listen, we've got to be satisfied with the things of God. It is easy to lose our peace in the midst of the battle. It is easy for us to become dissatisfied with God when things don't work the way that we thought they would. We create a plan and then we lift it up to God and say, do this my way. And God lets it drift right back down to us. And he says, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to do it that way. So we got to learn to be satisfied with the movement of God. We've got to learn to be content. Listen, maintaining peace with God requires being content or satisfied with his sovereignty. You know what that means? It means we've got to acknowledge that he is smarter than we are. That he is wiser than we are. That he knows how to move in this situation in a better way and a more effective way than our way. We have to be satisfied. But instead, people get upset. I don't don't know why God didn't do it this way. I don't know why God did that. I don't know why God allowed this. I don't know why God, I don't know why God, I don't know why God, and we just get ourselves all worked up into a lather and we lose our peace. When instead, we have to realize that God, whatever it is that you're doing, I accept it and I receive it because I know that it's better, it's smarter, it's wiser, 
it's more effective than anything that I could have come up with. And even though I may not have seen it happening this way, and even though I may not understand it in its fullness right now, I know, God, that if you are working on my behalf, then I trust you, and I trust your plan, and I know that your will will be done in my life. We have to be satisfied with his sovereignty. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul said this. He said, listen, I don't say this out of need. In other words, he's saying, I'm not in need right now. I'm doing pretty well. God's been really good to me. But then he goes on to say, he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Now, there's an important word in this passage here, and it is the word for. He said, I don't say this out of need, for. That word for means because, or this is the reason. And he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. What he's really saying is that I trust God in every way, every day, because I know that what God is doing is what's best for me. Church, can I just tell you, we've got to be content with God again. We can't be content with God, though, when we've got our eyes focused upon the government and the political system and the COVID disease and the family dysfunction and the difficulties that we're facing. I know people that from the time they get up in the morning until they close their eyes at night, they're thinking about the negative and the things and the stuff and, and they get discouraged and they get depressed and they get to a place where there's no victory in their life. But listen, we can control our minds and we can control those things uh, that would move us from victory to defeat. How many of you want to live in defeat? How many of you want to just live there and reside there? You don't have to. You can change your address by simply focusing upon the things of God. I'll always remember a time when I was so frustrated with a situation and I read the words of the psalmist when he started out one of the chapters and he said, I shall not be greatly moved. But if you keep reading, and if you keep reading, he changes his focus from his circumstances, and he focuses upon God and God's hand and God's ability. And when he closes out the chapter, he changes his confession. He does not say, I shall not be greatly moved, which means I am going to be moved there are going to be some things that happen in me that are negative in nature. I am going to have to fight. I could possibly fall apart. I could possibly get depressed. But then when he focuses on God and his power and his authority, he comes down to the end and he said, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to be moved greatly. I shall not be moved. Some of you are living right there. You're saying, well, I don't know. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. I might this. I might that. I might succumb to this and I might succumb to that. I don't know. It's just going to be a rough season. It's going to be a tough time. Today's going to be a bad day. 
It's going to be, I don't, I don't know, I'm just weak, I'm, I'm feeble, I'm down and out. Change your confession and say, with the help of God Almighty, I will rise above every situation that I am facing in my life. God has given us the power. He's given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. And that's what happened. That's the transfer of power that happened between the suddenlies. You see, Peter was at a place where he needed suddenly to come on his behalf. But after God did all that God did, the Bible says that Peter came to himself. And when he came to himself, the angel left. Hey, listen, there have been times in my life that if it had not been for the angel of God holding me up and walking with me and providing what I needed so that I could be aware that God's hand is moving on my behalf, if it had not been for the movement of God in my life, I wouldn't have made it. But then there came a time when the Spirit of the living God said, I'm going to remove the angel from your vision. I'm not going to remove him from your situation. Hey, there's angels all around us today. There's angels in this room with us. There's angels in, in your life. There's angels all around you right now, but you just don't see them. You just aren't aware that they're there except by faith. But he removed this angel from Peter's vision. And Peter had to then move in the Spirit using the gifts that God had blessed him with. Can I tell you that it's time for us to mature in our faith to the point that we don't have to see God. We don't have to see that manifestation. We don't have to see or feel that. We don't have to feel those chill bumps. We don't have to feel this. We don't have to get that phone call. We don't have to get this, that, or the other. I just know that by the power of God that lives and dwells in me, if I'm standing all by myself in the battle, if nobody is coming to, to my rescue, if nobody is coming to my aid, I know that the God that lives and dwells within me is more than enough to see me through and I can walk through to my victory right now through the power of God. If you want to come stand beside me, you can. But if you don't, that's not going to defeat me. You know, I've wondered sometimes, why didn't somebody come into my life at this moment? It may have been because they were fighting battles just as bad or as hard or as difficult or even more so than yours. We get all upset. My wife didn't come and visit me when I, when I was hurting and when I was discouraged and so-and-so didn't come and help me when I was discouraged. Listen, it's good to have friends. Uh, it's good to have family members. Uh, it's good to have church members. Uh, but it is better to have the Spirit of the living God uh, right beside us every moment. And rather than me getting upset with you, I'm going to pray for you that God will bless you and organize your life uh, and bring you to a place of victory so that we can all then be victorious together. I'm getting ready to close. But I want to bring one more thing to your attention. The reason that these people were able to be satisfied 
And the reason that these people were able to be content is because they understood this. God was in control. Can I just tell you today that whatever you're facing this morning, God is in control. It doesn't matter what it is. This was political. Yours may be something totally different. But let me remind you that God is in control. And when you understand that God is in control, something like this will happen. Peter was at rest even before God had started moving on his behalf. He was sleeping. He was resting. The church was confident. They weren't upset. Well, we've got a problem. God's bigger than our problem. We've got a situation here. But God is aware. So instead of us getting all upset and frustrated, down and out and discouraged, why don't we just take it to the Lord in prayer and leave it in His hands and say, God, you are well able to do this and I trust you. Now in my Bible, between verses 19 and 20, I want you to listen very closely what I'm about to say to you. Between verses 19 and 20, it says this. Herod's death. It was a transitional heading to let the reader know that what God did, he did. But he's not finished yet. Now, in the King James Version, I think it says the death of Herod. Something like that. But it's to let you know that there's a new direction coming. A new thing is coming. At verse 20, it says, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. And on an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. Verse 22, the assembled people began to shout it's the voice of God and not a man. And something happened in Herod because he liked what he heard. Politicians love it when people applaud them and lift them up and say, you are the one. You are the anointed one. Listen, politicians love that, and Herod loved it too. Now look at verse 23. At once, an angel of the Lord 
struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Now because of recent remarks made by a well-known Louisville pastor who we all love and appreciate very much. I want to be very careful what I'm saying in this moment because I know that we're live streaming and I know that some of you have wonderful memories about what may have been said or what may not have been said. I have been, I've had multiple people ask me, what do you think about what this man said? And I have not answered to this point because I was not aware of what was said. I didn't see it on video. I didn't read his transcript. I didn't know. I'm not going to comment on something that I don't know about. I'm not going to speak for other people, but I will speak for me. And here's where I am. God didn't appoint me to be judge. God didn't appoint me to be a spiritual policeman to come and watch what you're doing and what you're, what you're up to. God did not anoint me to come to you and say, you better watch yourself, boys or girls, because if you're not careful, something bad is going to happen to you. God didn't appoint me as a judge. He appointed me to pray and to seek his face and to pray for everyone. Now here's what I've learned through the years and you can take this or leave it. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that sometimes God deals mercifully. And at other times God deals punitively. But he is always fully capable of determining which is appropriate at any given time. So it's not my job, job to judge you. It's not my job to judge anyone else. Discern, yes. The Bible makes the case that as Christians, we should discern what's going on. But discernment only puts me in a position to choose whether I can support or not support the activity that's taking place. I can separate myself from it because I discern spiritually what's going on. But God's going to handle the rest. I said all that to say this. God decided to deal with Herod punitively. God had had enough. God needed to move the church on to victory. And he knew that he could no longer do that as long as Herod was in his place. And so God, not the people, not the church, not the people of God. They, I've already told you they didn't get a big group up and go to Herod's house and say, we're going to get you. They prayed fervently. And God, in the right time, and in a way of his choosing, decided to eliminate this issue. 
So what I'm saying to you is this. My responsibility is not to tell God what to do, how to do it, or when to do it. My responsibility is to pray and speak over His will in my life and then trust Him to deal with any given situation that I find myself dealing with. So I want you to be aware today the power that you have when you learn how to pray passionately. When you learn how to pray in the Spirit, not enough for you to just pray when you come to church. We got to pray in the Spirit all the time. Every moment of every given day, we must be in a spirit of prayer. When we do that, God will take, take care of our circumstances. I want to catch my breath now for just a moment. And while I do that, I'm going to ask them to sing a song that I requested. You don't have to stand up, but if you want to, you can. But I want you to turn your attention to praise right now as they sing this little song. Can you do it? Are you ready? Let's do it. you to begin to visualize 
what God is going to do between your suddenness. How he's going to move on your behalf and to be ready to receive it in Jesus' name. So let me pray for you, Father, in Jesus' name. I believe that I'm standing in front of a house full of people that are sick and tired of being in bondage to the things that are holding them today. Lord, it varies from individual to individual. But what does not change is the fact that when we are in bondage and we are being held by it, it prevents us from walking in the liberty of the Spirit. So God, I pray today in Jesus' name, I pray fervently that you will remove the bondage in their soul, that you will remove that which is holding them tightly and that you will give them liberty and freedom today in Jesus name God I pray that they will begin shaking off the chains of bondage so that they can walk and live in the liberty God Almighty Lord in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name now as a way to praise him for answering our prayer sing it again and glorify Him and shake off those heavy bands that you've been holding on to in your life. Sing it some more if you will.